Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Trent says the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes speaks the words of two very different voices. The first voice is that of a depressed King Solomon who tried it all and found everything empty, like chasing after wind. Here's Pastor Trent. If you only hear the first voice, you'll be hopeless. You'll want to commit suicide. What is the second voice saying? Who is the second voice? The second voice is Jesus. Do you understand the rest of the story of the gospel is this? That Jesus actually perfectly remembered God, feared God, and obeyed God. Therefore, I don't have to fear God's judgment. I can live gratefully obeying God because I know that Jesus has bridged the gap between me and God. He's put me in right relationship with Him. You and I were made for more. In fact, that's the title of this series by Trent Griffith right here on Resonate. If you'd like to listen to past Resonate programs or to subscribe to the podcast, just go to harvestgranger.org slash resonate. Well, right now, let's review some of the highlights from last week's program and then hear the conclusion of this message. Here's Pastor Trent. Ecclesiastes is a really strange letter. If you're not too careful, it would read like a suicide note. I mean, the guy is depressed. And all he's doing is he's writing this, is cataloging everything he's tried to find meaning and purpose in life. And he can't find it. And all he says throughout the book, over and over, 40 different times in the book, he says, all is vanity. And we learned that that word is a really strange word. It kind of loses its meaning in the English translation. Some translations translate it meaningless or futile. It's, it's really a metaphor for smoke or fog or haze or vapor. And the Hebrew word that's used is hevel. So over and over we see this Hebrew word and he's trying to help us. Now, in order to understand Ecclesiastes, I told you it's really strange. Here, here's the key to understanding the book, okay? There are two voices in Ecclesiastes. We've already identified the first one. Who is that? Solomon, richest guy that ever lived, wisest guy that ever lived. He tried everything and he's really depressed. Now, throughout the book, occasionally we hear from a second voice. And that is the voice that gives us the perspective of eternity. Over and over, Solomon says, there is nothing under the sun that satisfies. It's all hevel. And yet the second voice comes in and actually gives us a perspective beyond the sun. My prayer is this morning we will hear from the other voice. And in order to do that, I want you to turn all the way to the back of the book, find chapter 12. It says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near in which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Now skip down to verse 13. This is the conclusion of the whole book. Last two verses. And he says this. The end of the matter 
In other words, after everything has been tried, everything's been experienced, here's the conclusion I draw. The end of the matter, all has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man, or the the whole purpose of man. This is what you were made for. You were made to fear God and keep his commandments. For God will bring every deed into judgment, whether good or evil, with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Very simple outline this morning. Three points, six words. It's simply this. Remember God, fear God, obey God. That's how you grow in this life. That's how you grow in grace. We need to grow in remembering God, grow in fearing God, and grow in obeying God. So let's take those one by one. The first one is remember God. Now, I am told here in verse 1 that I am to remember. Let me explain that for you, okay? Are you ready? Write this definition down. Remember means don't forget Aren't you glad you came to church this morning to learn something new? You see, that's the point. There's really not, not a whole lot new that you need to learn. You just need to remember what you already know. And he says, remember when you are disillusioned with wisdom. So that's his first experiment. Then he tries something else. He moves, he moves from wisdom and he tries money. So remember God when you are dissatisfied with money. So this verse is in Ecclesiastes 5.10. He says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Now, some of you just relaxed a little bit when you read that because it's about money and you don't have any and you don't think you love it because there's nothing to love, right? It's like, hey, just move on to the next one. I don't love money because ain't no money to love. No, listen, I have found some people who have no money are the ones that love it the most because they really believe if they had more money, they would have more significance, satisfaction, and security. And people that have the money will tell you, I'm still dissatisfied, insecure, And if I had a little more, I could probably have some meaning and happiness. There was a report done in 2012. They actually studied some people who had some money. And um, they they looked for a correlation between the accumulation of wealth and the amount of happiness in a person's life. And what they found was there is kind of a, a correlation between wealth accumulation and happiness until you reach a certain point. And that certain point they found was about $75,000 in median income in household, in the household. By the way, the median income of household income in Granger is about $80,000. But they said anything beyond that, they found no correlation between the amount of happiness and the amount of money. As a matter of fact, they found that the more money you have, the more complex your life gets. And it actually brings anxiety and stress just managing all that stuff. So the key to having Happiness is actually giving money away. Listen, when we use our money so that others can enjoy God, that's what brings meaning to the money. 
It's not in making more. It's by giving more for the purposes for which God intended it. So remember God when you are dissatisfied with money. And then this, remember God when you're disappointed with pleasure. All right, so he's tried wisdom, he's tried money, and now he moves on to the third test, pleasure. Here it is. I said in my heart, come now, heart, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was hevel. I said of laughter, it is mad. And I said of pleasure, what use is it? So apparently he tried to stimulate his five senses. Things that he saw, things that he heard, things that he tasted, things that he smelled, things that he touched. Think about our culture today. We are swimming in sensory perception. Movies for our eyes. Perfume for our smell. Food for our taste. Sexual gratification for our physical senses of touch. And yet, all of it, Solomon had at his disposal. How many women did he have available to him on any given night? A thousand. And he tried them all. And at the end of it, when every sense had been stimulated, he says, it's mad What use is it? And so the second voice speaks to the first voice and says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. So he tells us that we are to remember, but he also tells us not only that we are to remember, but he tells us who we are to remember. We're to remember our creator, our creator. This is what trips philosophers up. Because they know the rules and the laws of science say that every effect has a cause. And so it's hard for them to grapple with the concept of God because it leads them to the question, what? What caused God? And this is where they get tripped up. They don't have a category for the uncaused cause of everything. And the second voice says, remember the uncaused cause of everything. If you can get your head around that, then you will understand God is other. He is different. He didn't have a cause. He is self-existent. His existence is dependent on no one and nothing. I am creation He is creator, and he has made me for more than playing around with his creation. He has made me to glorify him as creator, as his creation. And he has made me to connect and to commune with him as creator, as he has made me creation. He has made me, as we said a couple of weeks ago, with value and purpose and intent, and he wants me on mission with him. I read somewhere this week, somebody said, God, we know from the first page of the Bible, God made man in his image, and it seems like man has been trying to return the favor ever since, as man tries to make God in his image. 
And the second voice says, stop it. Just remember who God is as creator and respond to him as creation, living for the purpose for which you were made. I'm told who I am to remember, and then I'm told when I am to remember. Verse one, remember also your creator when? In the days of your youth. Now, I would like all of the youthful people to stand now, okay? Uh, I want everybody under the age of, let's say, 25. All the 25 and under people, you can stand. Please stand. We want to see the youth in the room right now. Okay, everybody, those of you that are able, turn around and look at the people uh, in the room right now. Now, first of all, um, there's an overwhelming number of 25 and younger people in the room right now. And are, are, are you impressed with this? Here they are. This is the hope of the future of the church, okay? Now, remain standing. All right, now listen. I'm looking at you guys, and some of you are thinking, I am having way too much fun right now to get serious about God. When I am finished having fun, then I'll get serious about God. Don't you do it. First of all, there's no guarantee that you will remember God when you are older. There is a higher likelihood that you will remember God then if you put him first now. You guys can be seated. Now, those of you that are, let's say, uh, let's say 50 and older, 50 and older people, let's just stand up. Stand up, if you're able. Um, the, <laughs> 50 and older people. All right, now you stand up. All right, now look around. This is, this is cool. All right, now, look, now those of you that are older, I want you to remain standing if you started following Jesus seriously after the age of 50. Remain standing if you started following Jesus seriously after the age of 50. All right, so here are the people. They followed God seriously, but they, they had a late start. Those of you that are standing, how many of you wish you would have started earlier? Any have, you have any regrets? I'm so glad I waited. I'm just Life just went really great without God, just managing all the hevel. I'm so glad I didn't waste all those years following God in my I don't see anybody like that, right? I don't know anybody like that. Thank you, you guys can have a seat. So what they're saying to you is get started now. Now, those of you that didn't stand up, you're somewhere in the middle. Let me just encourage you. You're not getting any younger, all right? <laughs> the time to follow Jesus is now. You will never be as young as you are today. Start remembering your creator in the days of your youth. So, I said there's three points to this message. That's the first point. What's the second point? Oh, you weren't listening. Well, I'll tell you. It's fear God. Fear God. We found that down here in verse 13. It says this. The end of the matter, after all has been heard, is fear God. Fear God. It's like, really? Are we supposed to be afraid of God? Are we supposed to cower from Him? What does that mean? No, listen. The best definition of fearing God I've ever heard is this. The fear of God is the continual awareness that I am in the presence of God. He sees everything I do. He hears everything I say. And he knows everything I think. But I sometimes am not consciously aware of that. And that's why I do stupid stuff. 
is because I think I won't get caught, that I will never have to answer for this. I hide it. It's in secret. My spouse doesn't know. My friends don't know. My small group doesn't know. And, and my pastor doesn't know. And so as long as I don't get caught, I'm fine. Fearing God means I live as if I was on that screen all week long and God was watching it. Would it change the way that you talked this week if we could play all the words that came out of your mouth this week in church? Would it change the way? Has it changed the way that you drive through intersections now? We've seen those little lights up on the, the corners now and the, uh, the cameras, the surveillance cameras. You get that nice little ticket in the mail. It's like, I didn't see a cop. Yeah, but they saw you. <laughs> what would it, how would it change our decision making if we lived with the continual awareness that we are in the presence of God? James McDonald says fearing God is like this. Fear is wisdom that seeks a right relationship with the fear source. So if I'm running and a dog starts chasing me, am I going to fear? Yeah, unless I have a piece of bacon in my pocket and I can pull it out and make peace with said dog, right? It's like, well, now I make a right relationship with the dog and I don't fear you anymore because I made the relationship right. And it works in every category. If you fear lung cancer, you stop smoking. If you fear obesity, you stop going to Krispy Kreme donuts. If you fear tooth decay, you start brushing. If you fear dying in a car accident, you put your seatbelt on. If you fear the future, you save for retirement. If I fear God, I change my behavior. I seek a right relationship with God. I trust Christ for forgiveness of sin. I listen to his instruction and I live a life that pleases him knowing he sees what I'm doing, he knows what I'm thinking, and he hears what I'm saying. Fearing God doesn't mean I put distance between me and God. It means I do everything to bridge the distance between me and God. And I know the only way I can do that is through Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. And so the fear of God characterizes a person's relationship with God, knowing that Jesus is the one standing between. He is the only one standing between my sin and God's judgment. And out of the overflow of gratefulness of Jesus, I seek to please him in right relationship with him. And the fear of God will make you fearless before the face of man. No matter who is ridiculing you, no matter who is marginalizing you and rejecting you and mocking you, living in the fear of God puts you in a courageous position in the face of men. And I would say this, wherever wisdom fails, try fear. Do you remember how Solomon tried wisdom? And he said, it's hevel. You just put the fear of God right there in the, all the questions that you can't answer. Like, I, I don't know why stuff happens, but I, I fear God too much to shake my fist in his face. Fear God. And the last thing is this, obey God. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Why does he say that here in verse 14? He says, keep his commandments. This is the whole duty, the whole purpose 
for man's existence. Verse 14, God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Remembering God and fearing God is not a substitute for obeying God. There's actually some activity that's involved in doing what God says and avoiding things God says to avoid. So what motivates me to do that? The knowledge that God will bring every deed into judgment. Listen, everyone will stand in judgment before God. That's, that's actually good news. Has somebody ever hurt you, cheated you, lied against you, abused you, oppressed you? Did you know that God saw that? And that person will stand before God on the day of judgment. That's also bad news for those of you that oppress, steal, lie, cheat other people. Because one day, everyone will give an account for every deed they've ever done. Even the things that were hidden. Everyone will be judged by the same set of standards. Do you see the last two words of the book? Whether good or evil. Says who? Says God. Good and evil are not human constructs. We don't get to decide by majority vote what is good and what is evil. God has decided that. And what is good for you has been good for all people at all times in all places for all eternity. The rules don't change. Now, they may change in your mind. They don't change when you're standing in front of the judgment. You will be based on what God says is good and what God says is evil, not what you say is good and not what you say is evil. Am I increasing the fear of God in your life? Then obey Him and do what God says is good. And then there's this sobering reality. Every person who stands before God should rightfully be judged as evil. You say, I'm not that bad. You're a dirty, rotten sinner. You have not always remembered God. You have not perfectly feared God. And you have not adequately obeyed God. Therefore, you should be judged by God. Let's all bow our heads and pray and go home. Wait, wait, there's got to be more, right? Yes, there's more. But that's where Ecclesiastes ends. I told you at the beginning of this message, if you only hear the first voice, you'll be hopeless. You'll want to commit suicide. What is the second voice saying? Who is the second voice? The second voice is Jesus. Do you understand the rest of the story of the gospel is this? That Jesus actually perfectly remembered God, feared God, and obeyed God. And those of us that have trusted in Jesus can stand before God and be treated as if we were good because on the cross, God the Father treated Jesus, God the Son, as if He was evil. Therefore, I don't have to fear God's judgment. I can live gratefully obeying God because I know that Jesus has bridged the gap between me and God. He's put me in right relationship with Him. Now I can obey God. 
I don't obey God to become good. I obey God because I've already been judged to be good because Jesus was judged as bad on the cross. He took my sin so I could take his goodness as a substitute goodness before God in judgment. That's the good news of the gospel. And and so many people don't get it. They think that being good qualifies you before God. Nobody's ever been good enough before God. It's only in trusting Christ and then out of that, obeying God, out of gratefulness for the gospel. Well, it might be that this is the first time you've heard things explained that way. Have you ever noticed the voice of Jesus in the book of Ecclesiastes? How will you respond? In just a minute, Pastor Trent will be back to help us personalize today's message and conclude the program. You know, our church is made up of sinful people who have come to see the beauty of Jesus and what he's done for us. If you're looking for that kind of church, why not visit Harvest Bible Chapel for a worship service? For information about when and where we meet, including our new church campus in Elkhart County, just go to harvestgranger.org. Again, that's harvestgranger.org. Well, next week, we'll hear a lesson we can all learn from some lepers who had some good news to share. Now, here's Pastor Trent to close our time today. Would you personalize what God may have said to you this morning? I do not have enough time to go through everything that you should do to obey God, but the good news is this, the Holy Spirit's been talking to you the whole time. And if he's put something on your heart that you need to repent of and confess, do that now. The one command that everybody in this room needs to obey right now is this. Repent and believe the gospel. If you've never done that, this is a great time to do it. You've heard the gospel. You've been convicted of sin. If he's igniting faith in your heart to trust what Jesus did on the cross, then just open up your heart, trust him and tell him. Say, Lord, by your standards, I I should be judged as evil. Thank you for what Jesus did on that cross to absorb my evil so I could absorb his good. I trust you. Forgive my sin. From this point on, I want to live my life remembering you, fearing you, and obeying you. If you've never done that, do that right now. For the majority of you, this is old news, nothing new. My job is just simply to remind you, don't forget the gospel. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand with me right now? Quietly, let's remain in a spirit of prayer. I want to pray right now for you. Lord, we're about to dismiss ourselves back into the hevel. And there will be chaos in relationships. There will be injustice in our own hearts. There will be a lack of motivation. There'll be a temptation to forget you tomorrow. I pray that by your grace, we would grow in the knowledge and the goodness of Jesus Christ. All for your glory. God, thank you for what you're doing and what you've spoken to us this morning. I pray that someone here today that needs to put faith in Christ for the very first time to be 
regenerated, born again by your spirit. God, would you do that merciful, gracious act right now in their hearts? And they would respond publicly in repentance and faith. And God, fuel the rest of us for the assignments you have for us. And I pray that this great army of people would go out of here as a light, obeying you, giving you glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week. You are loved. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel Granger. Visit us online at harvestgranger.org.